Hello, and welcome to my recovery podcast. My name is Akeem, and I am a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Now, today I've gone through a lot of permutations about what I was going to talk about today on my podcast, but today I decided I was going to talk about this meeting that I went to. Now, um, for those of you who aren't a part of one of the 12 step uh, fellowships, excuse me, um, the meeting yesterday was about step four. And step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And step four is really one of those pivotal things in recovery that need to be done. And it doesn't matter what recovery group that you belong to, but made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves is a difficult one. And it's very difficult. And that's where a lot of people stumble. A lot of people spend a lot of time hemming and hawing about whether or not they're actually going to do step four or how to do step four or what they should put down or lying on it and all sorts of different permutations. And step four never gets worked. And then you end up back where you started. Now, yesterday I was the chair of the meeting. Now, chairing a meeting is a little daunting, especially yesterday was in my home group. So I didn't know a whole lot of people. I just started going to the Hershey meeting maybe about three weeks ago. And it was outside of my comfort zone. Well, one, I live in Lemoyne. And for those of you not from the Harrisburg area, uh, Lemoyne's about 20 miles away from Hershey. Um, but it's on the other side of Harrisburg. So there's a city on one side of the river, Susquehanna. And on the other side, there is the little borough of Lemoyne. And so west of Harrisburg. Now, on the opposite side of Harrisburg, on the east of Harrisburg, the town of Hershey. And yes, if anybody's familiar, it's where the home of Hershey's Chocolate is. It's where I went to high school. It's where my daughter lives. And it is home to Hershey Park. And most importantly, home to Milton Hershey School. And Mr. Hershey left uh, him and his wife, Catherine, Kitty, as she liked to be called, left um, their money to a school for underprivileged children um, that was started in 1910. And that's where I went to high school. That's where I met my daughter's mother, and that's where they live now. Um, my daughter was born in Baltimore, so she's tangentially um, a part of Milton Hershey, but she goes to school in Hershey. And um, without Mr. Hershey, she would not be here. So I always thank Mr. Hershey for a lot of things, but my daughter, most importantly. Anyway, uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, I get to see my daughter, and... Um, I wasn't making meetings on Mondays and Tuesdays, so I decided that I was going to start going to um, the KISS meeting in Hershey. So I started going, and they send a lot of meetings will send around a calendar of uh, days where people they need people to chair. So about three weeks ago, I decided I was going to chair February 15th. February 15th came up a lot faster than I thought it would, uh, which is amazing because I would think that I would know because it's the day after Valentine's Day, but it came up a lot faster than I thought it would. So here I am chairing this meeting and I will, I will share this. Sometimes we go to meetings so much and we know a clique of people and we get used to who they are. So a different meeting 
can throw you a little bit off kilter because they do meetings are like foreign countries. They do things differently there. And the meeting that I, my home group has a lot of call and response. There's a lot of it's very boisterous, a lot of yelling, a lot of young people. It's a young people's group in Lemoyne. And um that's one thing. And I've gotten used to that. I've gotten very used to the the yelling and the screaming and the call and response when people are reading. So um, I started going to the Kiss Me, and I went to a. Co- I've been going to several other meetings, shopping them, and they're not like that. And you would think that it being disruptive would throw me off, but since I've gotten used to that, the lack of disruption now throws me off. So I'm sitting in the meeting, and I stare out at this group of people. Some of them are very surprised that I'm sharing, because they know I'm not a home group member. They know I haven't been going there long time they don't really know anything about me which is a uh, bit of a fun thing for me when i think about it because i go okay well i'm a tabula rasa i'm a blank slate for these people so i can be anybody but in the end no matter how many times i've tried that i'm always just still me i'm a bit weird i think i'm a bit interesting and i try my best to entertain. So yesterday I'm chairing the meeting and that means I'm, that means I'm responsible for um, the readings. That means I'm responsible for guiding what happens and that I take it very seriously, making sure that the message is delivered to anybody out there who's a newcomer. So I'm sitting there and I knew I was sharing today And we had done, it's a step meeting. So you go over the steps and you talk about your experience for people in the room. Well, last week we had read the beginning of step four and the 12 and 12, which is a book that goes over the 12 uh, steps and 12 traditions and talks about them and talks about what you're trying to do and how it's going to affect you. So I went ahead and I did that. And I thought... We, I know we had read just the beginning of step four, but I thought we were moving on to step five. So I read up on step five and did some research. And I get there and I'm talking to people. And the secretary goes, oh, you know what step we're on? I'm like, yeah, step five. And he's like, no, no, second half of step four. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. So all of my preparation was outside the window. But um, having worked step four and worked it thoroughly twice, um, I knew what it was to be. Um, step five is goes hand in hand with step four. Step five is um, to share with God, yourself, and another person the exact nature of your wrongs. So you write down a list of all the persons that you write down that list, and then you share it with somebody. And it can be very, very daunting to do that. Um, I stared out into this room and I started thinking about um, what my experiences have been like. Now, these people don't know me and it's also a very different crowd than I'm used to being around. Um, They're older people, fairly um, homogenous people, very monochrome sort of uh, crowd. And I was not of that chromatic scale, you know, so I'm an outlier. 
And in that, that's okay, because we're not there to talk about any other issues other than our alcoholism. So I thought about what had happened to me, and I've done it I've done it twice. I've done my step four when I was in a halfway house and I did it, um, I want to say about a month, a second one, about a month and a half ago, um, with my new sponsor. And we covered a lot of same ground, but, and I, that took like eight hours. We sat, we ate pizza, we talked, I wrote some things down. We went over some of the stuff that I was still feeling and we got the work done. And that's the important part. The important part is not remembering every single thing that you did or uh, what you um, what happened and all that. Because a lot of times we're in states where we can't remember everything that we did and who we hurt. Um, but the major things that still bother us today um, are there. So we make a fearless and searching moral inventory of ourselves. So what's that mean? So I sit down and I talk about the people that I've harmed. I talk about, I write that down. I talk about um, what they've done. I talk about who I'm mad at. I talk about um, why I'm mad. I talk about, and here's the big thing. What is my part in it? What did I do to cause these things? Because a lot of times in my anger, I just go, oh, that fucking bitch did this or that son of a bitch did that. And in the end, it really isn't about that. What did I do? How did I cause these problems? Because I know I caused most of the problems in my life. Or I let people in my life that I shouldn't have let in my life. That's just basic, simple stuff. But I need to be aware that I, I played a major part. And then how does that affect me? You know, what parts of my life is that affecting now? Because when I build up these things in my mind, I build up resentments. I build up these negative thoughts. I build up all that stuff that weighs me down and keeps me going back and running to a drink. Now, it really becomes important when you start to think about why I continue to act the way that I do. For a lot of years, I spent so much time running away from the things that I had done and the people that had hurt me and the ways I felt that I was hurt, that I used drugs and alcohol in order to escape that. But here's here's the main problem with that, is that no matter how much drugs and alcohol I was using, I couldn't escape. In the end... There was no, um, there was no relief from that. So when I looked out <clears throat> into that room, I shared some of my experience, strength and hope as I'm taught. I talked about all those things. I talked about, um, the two different sponsors that I had and that they both had a different, um, view on how to do it, but they both worked. My first four step my fourth and fifth step, I spent about a month writing and I avoided it. I ducked it. I tried to not do it. I did not want to address some of the things that I had done, nor did I want to face up to those things. But in order to get better, I need to face up. And that's a hard part. I need to deal with the wreckage of my past. 
And that includes everything from still in that chocolate bar when I was a kid to, you know, sleeping with as many women as I possibly could over a short period of time. Everything. And then not giving a fuck and treating um, my brother and my mother and my sister in ways that they shouldn't be treated or making sure that uh, I took money for food instead of eating. And also, it addressed some things that I still carried with me. My anger at Max's wife. My disappointment in myself and not being further along in my life. All that stuff needs to be addressed. But as I said, I used drugs and I got high and I got drunk in order to avoid that stuff. You know, there's a great uh, Garth Brooks uh, song, Friends in Low Places, you know. And each verse ends up with him having a drink because he wants to not deal with, you know, the loss of this relationship. Well, hell, it wasn't the loss of relationships. It wasn't all that stuff that kept me getting drunk um, and high. It was everything. I didn't want to deal with any of my shit. And I never want to deal with my stuff. Like, to, even today, I, I struggle to make sure that I, I have the courage and the strength to deal with my stuff help head on. And I do better than I used to. You know, I deal with my stuff. I know stuff is going to keep coming back and keep coming up because I've done a lot of crap. I've treated a lot of people badly. I've stolen a lot of money. And I have burnt a lot of bridges. So how is it not going to come back? You know, um, I live in my recovery house and that's very frustrating. It's very frustrating to live with a bunch of men. It, it's hard to deal with people who you don't know and who don't share the same outlook as you, who aren't necessarily have as the high standard of hygiene that you have, who don't see the world that you do. And then you have to live with them. And live with them congenially. If I fight somebody, I get kicked out. Simple enough. And do I have any place to go? No, I don't. You know, I have some money, but that's not enough. I, I need to make sure that I am in a safe place and I have some responsibility. Because that sort of thing will get me high again, too. The stress of it. I don't want to go sleep in a bed for a couple of days because I got angry because you left hair on the sink. I really don't. And I don't have to. Because I deal with my stuff. I deal with my issues. And one day, the drugs and the alcohol stopped working. But it didn't stop me from keep using. I kept using, hoping that it would come back at some point. Because that's that's the thing. I'm hoping that at some point, I can forget a little bit longer. But it doesn't work. Not the way I used. I used so much and for so long that I can no longer numb myself. So I did a step four and I did it on the smoking deck of uh, the 19th Street Clubhouse here in Harrisburg. And I remember talking to my sponsor at the time and crying and feeling like a weight had left over my shoulder 
because I had been honest in it. And I had looked at myself and I'd seen the patterns and I talked to somebody about it because it's not enough for me to know because I know everything I've done. That's the other thing. People, I used to think, well, why I got to write it down? I know all my shit. I know what I've done. I'm going to write that shit down and then tell somebody who's going to judge me for it. This is a valid concern for somebody in active addiction. How do I protect myself from you? Because you damn sure need to protect yourself from me. And that's just one of those things that, that's one of those thought patterns that I need to break if I'm going to get better. Because nobody, I won't say nobody, I'll say most people in the rooms, and you can judge the people who aren't there to help you. But most people in the rooms who are there to help you aren't going to judge you no matter what. That's not the reason why they're there. They're there to help you with your problems with drugs and alcohol. And if you're there, then you're there. The funny thing is, is nobody came in there like, you know, St. Paul or St. Peter. Nobody came in there with a clean slate. If you're in a room full of alcoholics or drug addicts, then a lot of shit has happened. To all of those people. The one thing that you can say about those people is that they're lucky to still be alive. Because I'm lucky to still be alive. Because it's not guaranteed that I would make it. it. That's that's the number one thing that I remember. It's not guaranteed that I would make it. And I did. So those people, 99% of them, who have gotten through their active addiction and are working on recovering, are there to help you get better. That's the thing. They're here, there to help you get better, not to judge you. And it's surprising to me that when I talk to people and they go, oh, they judge me, they judge me, they thought this, they thought that. Um, when I was on the streets, and it's not everybody, but for me, when I was on the streets, I didn't give a fuck what you thought anyway. I really didn't. It really mattered not whether you thought I was a piece of shit or I was dirty or I smelled or any of that. What mattered to me was getting high. So um, coming into rooms, what you think of me, especially people who don't know a thing about me, don't know my PO, don't know my family, don't know anything about me. What they thought was unimportant. What I needed was to get better. And that was my focus. And that is still my focus. How do I get better? Not how do I live like this? Not how do I make people think this about me? Not any of that shit. Because social acceptability doesn't equal recovery, as Mr. Mike used to say. The two things are sometimes mutually exclusive. When I'm honest with people and I tell people I don't drink, I have boundaries, that I don't go places where there's going to be a bunch of partying, that I don't do those things. It's not because I'm better than them and it's not because I'm worried about they're going to judge me. It's that I have to draw healthy boundaries for myself. I have to make sure that I don't put myself in positions where I'm going to be triggered or feel like I need to do something that's going to mess up my recovery. Now today, for me, that's a lot easier. You know, I've worked it out. I've figured out how to deal with the questions of why I don't go to bars or I don't want to hit the strip club with people and that sort of thing. And I'm very honest. I'm very open about it. Now, obviously, depending on your line of work and who you deal with all the time and how that's going to affect you um, negatively, you have to deal with it differently. But for me, 
and I deal with it. And I'm very open and honest about what I will and will not do. You know, I could say it's, you could say it's a religious observance or something like that. And people won't question it. But for me, I'm just open. I don't do those things. I used to until I couldn't do them anymore. And at this point, I don't do them at all. That's it. It's real simple. So in the end, that's where my life is. So I sat down and I was very happy to talk about why I did not want to keep that stuff inside me. So I sat down with Clay and we did that. And I learned a lot about him and he learned a lot about me. A lot of the stuff he didn't really give a shit about. That's the other thing is that a sponsor, once we see the pattern, you don't need to keep going over the same things because we all do the same sorts of things over and over and over again. And in the end, that's, uh, that's not important. What's important is that we get through them and we don't keep doing them and we can work on the things that come up the next thing is you know asking your higher power whatever that is to help you deal with these things that you've done and the defects that they brought up but it also make you aware of what you've done and what your pattern is i was in rehab with a guy whose pattern was meet a girl uh fall in love with her or some version of love whatever he felt that was and then go out and use because that was emptying because you can't put your heart and soul in somebody else and expect that to fulfill you. Fulfillment is internal, not external. So nothing outside of me will ever fulfill me. Nothing outside of me will ever make me um, whole. But recognizing those things is unimportant unless you do something about it. Um, he chose not to, and as soon as we were out of rehab, uh, I think believe I believe within a month he um, quit the halfway house he was in and moved in with a girl. And before he knew it, he was back to where he is. And thank God uh, my brother R.C. is back on the road of recovery, and he's doing well, and he didn't drink himself to death. Because that's, that's the other option, is I can chase whatever I want to chase, and I can take this to the bitter ends, jails, institutions, or death. But the things that I do, the substances I put in my body, are are extremely deadly. And I'm well aware of that. So until I'm ready to do the things that are necessary, and I said when I went to rehab that I would do whatever was necessary not to end up back where I was. If I'm willing to do that, then I'm willing to do step four. And it's, a, it's some work. It's looking at myself. I spent 20 years not looking at myself, not dealing with my stuff, and then compiling more stuff on the stuff that I didn't want to deal with. And medicating and not dealing and medicating and not dealing and medicating and not dealing. Ad nauseum. Until my life was a complete wreck. I felt awful about myself. And I couldn't do anything else but add on to the things that I had done. So... I got a sponsor, I did some work, and now I've dealt with those things internally. Yeah, I haven't made up for all the the things, 
yeah, there's some stuff that still weighs on my mind. But I'm working on those things too. And some things I'll never make up for. And I have to get good with that. I also have to get good with some people won't forgive me. And that's rough to think about, but some people won't. I got to get good with that. But here's the thing. When I was doing my thing, I didn't give a fuck what you thought. And I didn't give a fuck if you ever forgave me anyway. So what's the difference now? I'm sober. Okay. Does that make up for it? No. I'm not doing the things that I used to. Okay. Does that make up for the stuff that I've done? No. But can I get good with it and try to live a better life? Yeah. But I got to know what that stuff is. And here's the thing. The second one that I did, I sat down with my, my sponsor, Ryan. And even though I had been thorough and conscientious the first time, more stuff came out the second time. Because I spent my life, I spent a lot of my life in a lot of states where I didn't remember stuff or I pushed down a lot of stuff. So more stuff came out. Okay. Then I got to deal with that stuff and know that that stuff is still hurting. Some of the old stuff still came out and I got to deal with it. But how do I deal with that? How do I deal with those resentments? How do I deal with those feelings? Well, that's what, that's the point. That's the point of this is dealing with your stuff and moving forward. So I'm dealing with it. I'm working on my ninth step right now, which made which has made direct amends to such people we have harmed, except when to do so would injure them or others. I made a list of all persons I had harmed. And, you know, I'm in the midst of working my ninth step. Because not only do I need to figure out what I've done, I need to address it with the people I can. And some will take those, those, uh, those me addressing, and some people won't. But that's not what's important. The important part is me clearing up the side, my side of the street. Some people will be mad, and some people won't accept my apologies, and some people won't want to deal with me. When I talked to him, uh, first contact I had in like four years with my little brother, he said he didn't particularly want to talk to me. And for those who don't know me, um, I love my family. I mean, I love my family. My little brother, Abdul, is one of the funniest, smartest, handsomest guys I know. And I miss him terribly. I miss him in a way that I can't describe because my sister and my two brothers are a part of me like a limb. But when I was out getting high and robbing people and doing stuff, I didn't give a fuck about what Abdul thought. So the fact that today that he doesn't want to have contact with me, I got to own that. And it's hard because I miss him. We used to watch uh, a lot of wrestling together. And I um, and a lot of wrestling talk, which I know is weird. But um, I listened to a podcast twice a week by a guy named Jim Cornette. And every time I listen to it, I think of Abdul. And Abdul's doing well. He just doesn't want to be in contact with me. And it hurts. But I got to own that. And I got to live with that and know that's that's what my reality is because of things that I've done. And my fourth step allows me to see those things. And remember that I have played a major part in all of those things. Whatever anybody else does is not my concern. 
with my concern is me. And I'm dealing with that stuff. So that's my meeting yesterday. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. Um, that's just a couple notes. Um, if you like what you heard, want to share this to other people in recovery, please do. Uh, my recovery pod, I'm on all the big podcatchers. I'm on Spotify. I'm on um, CastBox. I'm on, um, I'm trying to get on Apple Podcasts right now. If you have any questions, any suggestions, please email me at myrecoverypod at gmail.com. If you would like to be a guest on my other, the other part of this podcast, um, Recovery Hope Shot, which is where I talk to people in recovery about their recovery and not just mine, please shoot me an email at myrecoverypod at gmail.com. That's just myrecoverypod at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, please leave me a rating on whatever podcast you're listening to this on because it really does help me and it does allow um, me to continue upon this journey. Also, a programming note. Um, I have another podcast, which is called Lost Movie Madness with Akeem and Friends. I've worked, I've changed that name a few times, but I will be discussing Porky's um, as the next movie. I've done two episodes on Dr. Detroit, one by myself, one by, with my sister. But um, I'm going to start um, really getting into that because um, I really do enjoy talking movies and movies that I love and old movies and things that nobody talks about but are great movies and sometimes terrible movies. But I enjoyed them very much as a kid, and I think that they do need to be discussed. Thank you so much for listening, and you have a great day. Also, last note, please be good to yourself and keep your mental health in check. And if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to see somebody, please do, because people out there do care and love you. Bye.